I think the uh, the building industry as a whole, it's kind of like that theory of you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, if they, if they don't know it, they'll put a, put a number to it then they'll win the package and then they'll go and source someone. Welcome to Fireproof, the Passive Fire podcast, where we delve into the world of passive fire protection. Join the ProFinish team as we dig into the issues we see on-site and in our industry every day and find out how you can save time, money and headaches on major construction projects. All right, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, it's uh, myself, Russell Watford. I'm going to be talking with Justin Bliss, uh, one of the directors of ProFinish Fire Protection. Um, welcome, mate. Thanks, Russ. It's going to be a bit of fun. Um, I suppose just to set the scene, um, you know, we're going to be talking about intermescent paint today. Um, but if we backtrack a little bit, um, we won't go right back through the, the journey of the company. But um, ProFinish Fire Protection was born out of, um, out of Bliss Sandblasting. And that was your business as a sole operator. Uh, so it's evolved to become what it is today. Um, you had a, an industrial coatings background. Um, you had industrial coatings applicators. And uh, you guys were professionals at coating steel, sandblasting and painting steel. And I think it was a natural shift at some point to, to look into the fire rated coatings um, and to move into the uh, commercial construction space. Um, why did you think it was a good idea and... And why was Intermescent a good fit for the business? Uh, good question, Russ. The, um, I suppose to begin with, we, yeah, we'd, we'd built a lot of relationships with uh, a lot of fabricators along the way. Um, there was a little bit of interest there on uh, fabricators asking us whether or not we, we had heard or apply Intermescent coatings. Um, from there, did a little bit of uh, research with our suppliers and they were spending a lot of money on the research and development of intermescent coating. So for me, it was yep. like there's, a, there's an opportunity in the market where not a lot of industrial coders uh, are familiar with intermescent coatings. So yep. um, from there, I thought we'd um, do a little bit more research, see how much of the market shares out there. Um, from there, we identified there was a bit. Um, getting in front of those people that had those projects was a little bit of a challenge. Mm. Uh, and we identified that we... We needed to expand our wings, broaden our, our wings a little bit and jump yep. into uh, other areas of the fire, passive fire protection industry as well. Yeah, so I um, think Intumescent was kind of where it all started, I suppose. It was the birth of um, pro-finish fire protection um, coming out of a, a coatings background. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we do is we always talk about uh, the three pillars of passive fire. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to cover things around um, the design phase of a project the build phase of a project and the documentation. Um, it's really important for us that we work with our clients through those three stages. Um, so we're going to use that sort of to frame today's discussion. But um, maybe before we get into that, uh, do you want to just give people an idea of what intermescent paint is? What does it actually do? Uh, intermescent, so there's basically three types of uh, passive fire protection. There's the uh, board component. And there's a vermiculite spray component and then there's an intermescent coatings component. Um, intermescent is designed to look like a painted finish um, and then at a uh, critical temperature of 700 degrees, it, uh, it expands um, and protects the, the steel from, yep. uh, from that heat and that fire for uh, anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours yep. depending on the thickness of the coating. So we're talking um, particularly around uh, structural steel protection here. Um, so that if there was a fire, the, the uh, steel would maintain its integrity for the period that it needed to to allow people to get out or allow mm -hmm. the fire to be put out. 
Um, so if we think about the design phase of a project, you know, well, I actually think that a lot of times we get asked to quote intramescent work first. Um, and sometimes there's a lack of understanding of what intramescent actually is and people have it sort of specced right through the project and it ends up getting designed out. So a lot of times it's our entry into looking at a project. Um, but if we think about uh, you becoming involved in a project um, over the years, when you're first involved in a project, what are some of the design issues that you see when people spec intramescent on a project? Intramescent is uh, it's, it's not as cost effective as the other two yeah. um, options. Uh, a lot of the time, over a bigger project, it'll uh, it'll blow a project out, um, a project's budget out um, by quite a lot. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's up to six to ten times the cost of a, of a board project. Yeah. So unless that uh, that piece of steel is being exposed and it wants to be a feature in a building, um, then it basically it'll get boarded up and it'll look like just a, a plasterboard. Um, yep. Or it'll have a false ceiling in it and never be seen again. Yep. So it really is critical. So usually they go back to the drawing board, figure out what needs to be exposed and, and what can be hidden and uh, yeah, cost is a big uh, intermittent coatings. Yeah. I guess um, you, you've touched on one of the advantages is that um, you get a good aesthetic. It's probably the best uh, looking finish that you can get with a, with a passive fire product. Um, and that's why it does get kept in the project or that's one of the, the selling points because um, you maintain that, that steel um, which is, you know, pretty important. But uh, I guess coming back to design flaws, what are the, some of the, the flaws that we see when we're quoting a project in the design? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of time there's, uh, so again, the intramescent coatings need a 50 mil clearance. So if, you're, uh, if you want to fix um, framing or anything like that, um, hard up against the, the, the steel that needs to be protected, um, a lot of the time the framing goes in, uh, Builder will ask us to come in and do the intermescent coatings, and uh, then all of a sudden they'll they'll have to rip the walls down to, yeah. to get it done. So the only only passive fire protection option they have there is to board the steel, and then you can fix directly to it. That's the only option. Yep, that one. Yeah, I think it happens a bit where you get a nice um, steel beam, and they, they want to attach windows to it, and they want to maintain that steel look, um, but it's just not going to be achievable. Uh, it happens, yeah, happens a lot, and that's where we work with the builders. Yeah, the fire engineers and try and get the best, most affordable option uh, for those guys. We're not in here to try and uh, try and milk as much money as we can out of the customer. Yeah, we uh, we're there to service them, so we, we can build long, strong relationships with them. Yeah, that's right, and and that's um, that's what we do. Sort of in the early phase, uh, the design phase of a project is sort of working out what's going to be um, the best in terms of um, cost effective, uh, buildable on site. It can actually be delivered. Um, it's going to achieve the FRL and then there's uh, things that come into it like aesthetic um, and design and finish. Uh, it's probably the only fire protection product that we install, maybe maybe sometimes penetrations, but where uh, we actually top coat it and the, the fire protection product is the finished product. Um, everything else that we do generally gets hidden away in a building, is, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. yep. So uh, again, uh, the finished product is a painted finish. Uh, so the uh, the finish, what the what the steelwork looks like, has to mimic pretty much if we've done an epoxy coatings and some polyurethane coatings around the building that are exposed, uh, it has to has to match that. So there's a fair fair bit of work there that needs to go into uh, making something. Epoxies are going on at 125 microns. Uh, our intermescent coatings are going on 
say three to five thousand microns, the yep. big difference in um, in what that finished product looks like. So definitely need some um, some skilled applicators to do that. Just uh, yeah. not your average Joe. So you, I suppose you, you've you've touched on a little bit uh, of information there. Just the thickness of the coating. Um, it's it's different to a, a normal paint coating. Do you want to talk about how it's applied, um, and just just give some explanation around the thickness? Yep. So it's uh, it's an airless. We we use our um, Graco either King pump or a a, a Mark V electric airless pump. Um, they're they're basically high, medium to high solids pumps. Um, uh, put put the product through. Um, with that, we again we for our um, for our application, you can't just put three thousand or five thousand microns on in one one go. It uh, ends up with a really ugly finish. That one. So um, it's definitely we build up techniques over the over the years to figure out how many layers of paint we can put on to achieve what we need to and still have a really nice aesthetic look. Um, there's a lot of training and development that goes into our guys in the field and, and in our yard uh, to, to make that happen. And it's been a lot of trial and error over the years. Um, I've, I've personally done a lot of error. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> built, those, uh, built those systems myself you, pretty much. You've, you've pushed the boundaries to <laughs> a make, lot. Yeah. And, uh, make sure you find out what doesn't work. Got very friendly with the, with the sanders and grinders there for a while <laughs> trying to repair works. But yeah, um, yes, it's not just a, a product where someone can come in get the paint delivered, get the steel delivered and and deliver a, a nice finish where the, the customer is going to be happy. And at the end of the day, it's about what the customer is happy with. It's not about us thinking it's okay, sending it out and getting paid for it. We really have to make the um, – it's usually architects that are doing the final walkthrough and they've got yep. this vision at the start of the project. Um, so it's up to us to make sure we deliver on that. That's right. I mean, we're in the uh, industry of compliance. Like, it's all about um, complying with the FRL, but at the same time, with Intermessent, it's also aesthetic. It is. Um, yeah. They're paying for the finish. So, um, with with that, our factory work you, you touched on, um, we apply. I think we've changed the way that we do this recently, where we apply a majority of the coating in our factory, and that happens over a period of of days then we actually finish off with the last coat and the top coat on site. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Expand on that a little bit. Do. So intermessing coatings aren't, aren't as hard as epoxies. Um, so they're not as hard wearing. So loading, transport, unloading and erection. Um, there's a lot of um, problematic areas there where it gets erected with steel. It's got to travel 100 to 300 Ks to, uh, to get to its destination. So just um, – Damage is common um, with the softness of the product. So usually we go on site and past days gone by, we'd finish the product in the yard, send it to site, and we'd always have to do touch-ups and to, to match in intermessent coatings and then match in top coats. It's just a, yeah, near impossible to yeah, get that, coating the to whole get thing on site. Yeah, yeah, so we've decided to do, um, say, 80% thickness in our yard. Then we've got our spray team, on-site spray team to come on site, do the repair work, finish off the last... Know, 500 microns say on site and then uh, then do the entire a lot of the top coat on site adds just every time because of the thickness of the steer of the the product there's a lot of orange peel in the products so every time we sand anything that's a smooth finish versus the rest of the steel work which is usually has a consistent orange peel about it so we just found that it just wasn't um for us it wasn't pro finish standard um to walk away from a job and think yeah convince ourselves that that was a yeah, job well done. So we've kind of changed it now to do all the repair work, 
final um, one or two coats on site and then the, uh, all the top coating and seem to be getting a lot of positive feedback from doing it this way. Yeah. Well, when aesthetics is such a big part of it, um, that's, it's important that we get that right. Um, so, you know, you touched on damage. Uh, is there, and this is something that's common in the build phase where we, we finish the coating or finish 80% of the coating, then gets loaded onto trucks. It gets unloaded using chains a lot of the time um, and it gets installed. What, what is the damage that occurs and how could builders maybe mitigate or reduce that? It's really hard because uh, it's the law that uh, all steel work has to be, you have to use chains on site to erect just to avoid slipping. Um, yep. you know, they have, we've tried slings in the past in the yard and they work really well. Um, but yeah, when it gets to site, it's law that you've got to use chains to, to erect steel work. So it's the damage is inevitable, which is where we just you know, play the game. We understand the game, what damage is going to happen. Um, what's, what's the best process we can come up with to make sure that finished product is still of the standard industry standard and pro finish standard. Yeah. I suppose if, if we know that that's going to happen, it's important that we educate the builder on that process, which is yep. something that we try to do when we're quoting the project. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Give them a really clear expectation as to the time frame to install. So, you know, the, the steel could sit in our factory for, you know, four or five days while it has coat after coat applied each day. Um, and then also um, the time frame to then come in and, and rectify and, and actually provide that finished product. Yep. Um, there's a lot of... <clears throat> I don't know, the the fabricating industry is is not really familiar with intermessing coatings, so it's kind of up to us to to educate them before it uh, before it leaves our yard. What's going to happen? You know, mm. usually at quoting stage, they they just think paint's paint, um, so they treat it accordingly. And yeah, usually there's a, there's a cost there because of um, just people not being aware of what an intermessing coating is and how thick it yep. is and how how soft it is. Uh, yeah, there's epoxy intermessence out there. There's um, plural injection um, intermessing coatings out there, but they're they're all next level costs again. You know yep. I mean? And at the end of the day, we're trying to offer the best um, cost effective solution for our uh, for our customers. Yeah. So you touched on uh, different types of coatings, um, and you mentioned you know there's there's the epoxy, there's also water based. Um, what do we tend to use, and is there different scenarios where we would use one versus the other? Uh, there is yes internally yep. uh, we use the water-based products yep um, we've just found when it first came out the intermessing coatings uh, we're using water-based products for external as well but there was a lot of delamination happen happening uh, 12 months down the track where just sheets of top coat were coming off usually it's from you know, pinholes just the top coat not being 100% um, a 100% film so yep. if there's any pinholes or imperfections they'd uh yeah, water would leak in, reactivate the water-based product. Yeah, some delamination would happen and, yeah, would, you know, reworks, which again costs money. Yep. Uh, so internally is water-based, externally is solvent-based. So yep. Again, it can't get um, reactivated. It's a lot harder product as well. Yep. Um, the product we tend to use there is Nullifier mm-hmm. 102. Um, yeah, it seems to be the best one for us at the moment, the one we recommend. So. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's quite a range. Um, in terms of the water-based, why would we use a water-based paint internally? Uh, internally? Yep. Uh, it's, oh, again, it's supplying the, the customer with the most cost-effective. Yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah, products. Yep. So uh, user-friendly as well. We're not worrying yep. about it as a two-pack two component um, to all, all epoxies. So you've got uh, 
um, pot life. Yeah. Uh, the product you've only got forty five minutes to let it go, mm. or you've got to or shut it all out, or it'll yep. uh, it'll destroy your pumps. <laughs> um, and solvent. Uh, if we've got to do any on site coatings, uh, that just that solvent component. Um, is a big no-no with toxicities and on work yep. sites and that sort of stuff. So, Well, that was the thing I was hoping you were going to touch on. Um, it can become an OH&S issue where we have yeah. to really uh, barricade the area that, um, yeah, that we're working do. on and making sure that um, people aren't walking through that space. Yeah, exactly. Fully enclose it. Yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare, um, a bit of a landmine. So um, how do we then ensure quality and compliance? You know, we, we said that we're in the industry of compliance and – our customers are paying us for an outcome, which is that the steel is going to be fire rated. Um, so how do we ensure compliance? Yes. Uh, so all steel work goes back to the, um, to the steel suppliers. They, they're the ones that give us the thicknesses for the steel. Um, so we are, in essence, we are professional applicators. We're not the, uh, we're not the people that um, designate the steel, the film thicknesses of the product or anything like that. Um, we put it on. So then we, we've created ITPs and internal QA systems to align with um, – with what we've been recommended, uh, from from there we yeah we ensure um, we we complete all those and we make sure it's all uh, it's all done in accordance, and then we supply the QA, the ITPs, and the um, certificates at the end of the projects. Yep, that's what I was going to ask you next. Was um, what does the customer get as the end result? I suppose, um, yep. and there's a handover um, manual or a hand some handover documentation that outlines um, everything that's been installed, um, certificates to show that the product's um, been installed as yep. per a tested system by a certified applicator. Uh, there's also warranties, yep. um, ITPs, QAs and photos. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. All inclusives. That's right. So um, do you th- is there anything else that you wanted to sort of touch on before we wrap up just around intramescent coding? If you were talking to a – a fabricator um, or a builder through either the design, build or documentation phase of their project? Is there anything that you think is really important that we haven't covered? Uh, I think the, uh, the building industry as a whole, it's kind of like that theory of you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, if they, if they don't know it, they'll put a, put a number to it and they'll win the package and then they'll go and source someone. Um, for us, you know, we're available to all of our customers, new and old. Uh, yeah, if there's any questions out there that need to be answered, it's all free of charge until we hopefully win that package off you. That's right. Or from yep. you. Yeah. So, yep. um, and, you know, there's, there's a little bit of reassurance there that you've priced it well. You, you, there's no hidden um, you know, hidden things going to pop up along the way. Uh, we kind of take all that, that stress and that, that lack of knowledge away and put everything at ease so it's a smooth process for you guys as well. Yep. Yeah, perfect. I think you've summed it up really well. Uh, well, I think that's uh, – we're going to wrap it up there, mate. Um, it's been really good. I, I know that you said at the start that uh, you don't do media, um, <laughs> but I know that you're a wealth of knowledge and I just wanted to try to extract some of that knowledge out of you today. Um, so thanks for, for spending some time with me. Thank you, Russ.